I'm Robin Gallagher and welcome to Ripples. Throughout our program, a series of guest speakers will share words of wisdom from their life experience and we will offer you a series of meditations so that you can take some time just to stop and listen to that voice within, that voice of the Spirit. So come and enjoy some inspired voices and treasured stillness and allow the ripple effect to begin. Welcome back to Ripples. Today, I warmly welcome Patria King to our program. Patria is an author, keynote speaker, teacher and facilitator and is qualified as a naturopath, herbalist, clinical hypnotherapist, yoga and meditation teacher. Patria has been a regular guest on ABC Radio's Midweek Conference and Nightlife for 19 years. In 1983, Patria was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukaemia and wasn't expected to survive. Meditation and integration of past traumatic experiences, which included the suicide of her brother, became paramount in her recovery. Meditation has been a constant in Patria's life for over 50 years. Patria has also written nine best-selling books and has created a series of CDs for meditation, including one for children entitled Rainbow Connection. Patria established the Quest for Life Foundation in 1989 after a series of personal traumas. She has developed many effective programs for people living with a range of significant mental and physical health challenges, which are delivered through the Quest for Life Centre in Bundanoon and in the community. I feel so privileged to sit with Patria today in Bundanoon as she shares the story of the Quest for Life Foundation and the significance of creating spaces where people can hear the still, small voice within and be truly heard. Welcome, Patria, to the program today. I just feel so privileged to be able to sit with you for this conversation. Mm-hmm. Lovely for me too. Oh, thank you, Patria. I-, I was first actually introduced to you and your centre when a dear friend of mine uh, was diagnosed with cancer. She attended some of your c- programs at the Quest for Life Centre and said that they were extraordinary and life-changing. When Jane spoke about the programs and conversations with you, I sensed that she'd come to a place where she was understood and where she was given an empowering way to move forward, to Mm. live her life. Mm. And since that time, a few other friends who have been diagnosed with cancer have also attended your programs and have expressed what a huge impact these programs have had on their lives. Patria, I can only imagine that the Quest for Life Foundation was developed in response to an identified need in our community. I wonder if you could share with our listeners something about what drew you towards creating the Quest for Life Foundation and and how it came to exist. Thank you. And I'm so glad that Jane and your other friends have found some peace and some benefit by being here. Absolutely invaluable. You know, when I was 33 and my children were four and seven, I was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukaemia and told that I wouldn't see Christmas, which was three months away. And of course, that set me on a very 
deep journey of understanding and finding peace because I wasn't at peace with myself. I wasn't at peace with my history. And I didn't really even know who I was, as many people don't when they're 33. Yes. <laughs> so it set me on a journey and I was given the opportunity to be in a very safe space which was actually a little cave outside of Assisi in Italy where St Francis used to retreat to this particular cave. And when I went into that cave, I felt like I'm either going to die in here or find peace in here, mm. but I'm not leaving until one of those things happens. Yes. And so it was a very deep and cathartic time for me because up until then I'd never cried. And in our family we always coped. No matter what happened, we coped. And... There'd actually been a lot of other traumas that had happened before my diagnosis with leukaemia, and I hadn't really dealt with any of them. So when I didn't die from leukaemia, I was faced with, well, now what? Yes. Because when you nearly die and then you don't, you know that happiness is not about the stuff. And yet we work so hard to get all that stuff, <laughs> and then we have to dust it and replace it, and we want the latest stuff until the whole planet's pretty much stuff. So I knew that happiness was not to be found in any of the things that people seemed to value around me and indeed had always confused me from childhood because mm. I was always preoccupied with why are we here? What's the point of human existence? How do you know that you're living the life you came here to live? Mm. How do you arrive on your deathbed with a sense of peace about the life that you've lived? And so when I was diagnosed with leukaemia, I was acutely aware of all of the places that I was not at peace within myself. Yes. So when I came back to Australia, um, it's a bit of a, a longer story, but I went into practice as a naturopath because that was what I was trained as and a yoga and meditation teacher. And I found that the people who came to see me... Uh, Initially, in the first year or two, it was mostly people with cancer and AIDS and other life-threatening illnesses. But, of course, they all had stories of domestic violence, of sexual assault, of uh, conflict, of shattered relationships, of despair, of hopelessness, of powerlessness. And these were all familiar places to me. Yes. And not that we ever know what it's like for another person. It's never helpful to say, I know exactly how you feel because you've got no idea how the other person feels. But people won't even have those deep conversations with you unless they feel like you're able to hear their anguish, to hear their despair, mm. to hear their hopelessness, their brokenness, mm. and to feel safe, to have someone bear witness to that with them is such a rare thing oh, in these days. Yes. Because everyone's so focused on fixing it. And the people I, were working, I was working with and continue to work with, you can't fix it, you can't change it, you can't make it better. And so it's not so much how do I get over this, but how do I move through this yes. with faith? Mm. Enough faith to, to know that it's okay to hope. Yes. You know, we, we often say at Quest, hope has to have legs. It's not enough to hope. Mm, I love that. I love that. It's and it's not a plan. Mm. And so it's great to have hope, but then we need to empower people with the education, the skills, the tools, the mm. strategies, so that they can get back in the driver's seat of their own life mm. rather than feel a helpless victim of their circumstance. 
So when we, you know, for the first few years or so, I, I worked with people one-on-one, and thousands of people. And then we moved to Bundanoon in 1995, and then this amazing property came on the market. Mm-hmm. We only had $15,000 in the bank, but they wanted $1.5 million, So, But it happened, and we were able to purchase this property, and we've been here now for 20 years and people travel from all over Australia just to find a safe place in which they can utter the unutterable and have it heard and witnessed. And once people feel like you get them, Mm. then they're willing to see things differently. Yes. But they will not move one jot until someone hears the suffering and can bear witness to it and stand with it. Yes. Then people are open to perhaps seeing things differently. Mm. So it's a great blessing to have a place where people can come and feel safe and nurtured and cared for. And I think the most frequent comment we hear at the end of a program, which always touches me so deeply, is I've never been anywhere where I felt so loved. And for me, that's, that's what I was given. I was given unconditional love while I unraveled, because yes. <laughs> sometimes we don't know what we think until we hear what we say. Mm. Mm. And we need that generous space in which we can unravel ourselves to find what is true mm. for us mm. and then how we're going to move through that. Mm. Oh, and, and, and just to let our listeners know, we're, we're actually in Bundanoon at this very moment. With the cicadas in the, the background. That's right, <laughs> and it is... It is such a beautiful place and space, mm. and that feeling is, is very tangible, Patria. Yes, yes mm. it's a beautiful... We're very, very grateful to have it. Yes. Mm. Patria, I originally thought that you mainly supported people who were living with cancer. Mm. However, over the years, I've come to understand that you support people who have gone through a range of traumas in yes. their lives. Uh, this may be cancer, or it may be living with some mental anguish... And I know in more recent years you've worked with farmers as they deal with the impact of the drought and, mm-hmm. and with families during the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, Patria, I wonder what's, what are some perhaps strategies or techniques that you have found that, that really help people to live with, with these challenges mm-hmm. or traumas in their lives? I know that we could do another 10 workshops on this <laughs> alone, Patria, but, but for our listeners, just to capture... Just perhaps just a few strategies mm. or techniques that, that make a difference. I think the first part of it is really to educate people about how what what is our healthy relationship with life. Mm. You know, life, love, God are all the same thing to me. Mm. So how do we align ourselves wholeheartedly with life mm. so that we become a living expression of that? And of course, most of us are so caught up in the chaos between our ears, where the brain is forever projecting our fears, worries, concerns, all the things that might happen, could happen, and probably won't happen into the future. Or our brain is telling us stories about the past where we regret and feel shame and blame and we try and rewrite history. The brain is actually has evolved or is designed to actually be in our service, not running the show. And when the brain is focused and quiet in the present moment, we're able to hear from that still small voice that knows, doesn't think. So the brain is full of will I, won't I, should I, shouldn't I, can I, can't I. 
the spirit knows. You know, it's that deep inner knowing. And we need to move towards that and indeed live ultimately from that place where the brain is in our service. Because when the brain is fully focused in the present moment, we have access to all of the qualities of our first nature, not what's become second nature to us. Second nature to us to judge, to feel less than, more than, better than, worse than, different from others. Our first nature sees the oneness, mm -hmm. sees the interconnectedness of life. And when the brain is focused in the present moment, we have access to some wonderful qualities that are only available to us when the brain is focused. Insight, intuition, wisdom, humour, spontaneity, mm -hmm. creativity, compassion. Those are the qualities that are available to all of us when we train the brain to be in our service rather than having it run the show. So we use techniques that help us to come to our senses because the body's always in the present moment. And even while we're talking, we can be aware of our weight and posture and the sound of the cicadas outside and the space that we're in and the mower. And this present moment is so full or we could be sitting here thinking about tomorrow or yesterday and not connect with the present moment at all. The breath is always there, the breath of life. So we can connect with the sensations of the breath. We can do walking meditations. We can bring awareness to the activities that we engage in. We can identify what are the things that I do when I'm at the end of my tether because they need to be our alarm bells. We know that when you're at the end of our tether, we get irritable, judgmental, intolerant, impatient, clumsy. We might get nausea, diarrhea, hot flushes, heaven knows what. And those are all the symptoms of not being present. And when we ask people, well, what are the things that replenish you? What are the things that connect you with contentment, with quiet, with joy, being in nature, listening to music, making music, singing, dancing, Sunsets, being on the beach, my pets, my children, my grandchildren more often than my mm -hmm. children. <laughs> so when you think about all of those things, those are all activities we love to do because we're in the present moment. Mm -hmm. We're in the presence of the moment. Yes. And the other, we're distracted from the moment. So when we make those things the foundation of our life, if you know that you need to be in nature, if you know you need silence, if you know you need yoga, prayer, quiet, if you know you need the company of good friends, the cappuccino with the girls, whatever it might be, those are not luxuries. They have to be the foundation of your life so that you've replenished yourself. Then you bring the well-replenished self to the challenge, do, the chaos, yes, the yes. crisis, the confusion. Yes. And then you're going to have access to insight, intuition, wisdom, humor, spontaneity, creativity, all those useful qualities to deal with the crisis, to deal with the challenge, to deal with the chaos. If we bring our fractured, emotional, distracted, overwhelmed self to the challenge, we're not going to be useful. And most of us just want to be happy mm. and useful. Mm. We want to feel that we've made a contribution. And I imagine when people 
um, come to the programs, it must be incredibly life-giving to be given a space where they can tap into that Mm. and develop a greater awareness around some of those things that do make a profound difference to Mm. who they are and how they live and those practices that bring them into the moment Mm. and heighten Mm. their awareness of what they need. Yes. Mm. Well, I I know a lot of the people that we see now, and it's probably the growing part of our work, is with people with post-traumatic stress injuries. So... Uh, police and veterans, paramedics, domestic violence, victims of crime, um, people who've attempted suicide, many really very challenging things. And it's such a revelation for those people when you say to them, you're not your brain, you have a brain. And yours has become injured because of the experiences that you've had. And it's not a lack of character or strength of personality. This is a human being who's been put in a very unnatural circumstance and you've had a perfectly normal response to a perfectly unnatural event. Yes. And once people even understand, wow, I'm not my brain, I thought that's who I was, all Mm. that inner chaos, that's not who you are. It's just what we may have become because of our life experience. Yes. And so people, when when you speak, to me, it's common sense. Yes, because you've lived it for, yes. for so long. But when you speak common sense, you know, it kind of lands with people mm. too and they feel like, you know, this is not umi-goomi, woo-woo, la-la land stuff. You know, this is very practical, grounded way of understanding both neuroplasticity, the yes. brain's ability to change, and epigenetics, which is the environment that's around our cells and that's influenced by what we're eating and drinking, by the quality of our sleep, the quality of our exercise, the chemistry of our emotions and the chemicals that are in the environment. That's what's in the epigenetic environment. Well, we have control over a lot of that. And we're hearing increasingly more and more around the impact of all those elements on on our lives and our well-being. And we've fallen down the rabbit hole of specialisation where no one sees the whole anymore. We only look at the bits you know, you go to the knee doctor or the hip doctor or the ankle doctor, but not the leg doctor. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> you know, we, we see people in fractionated parts now. And we need to see people with compassion yes. and in their wholeness mm-hmm. and then help them to find their pathway. Yes. Because my pathway is only going to be mine. Yes. And it would be a terrible presumption to think that I know what's best for another human being. Mm. So we help people to find their own best answer, Mm. which is going to be far more valuable to them because it's their answer. And they can own it. They can own it and live it and and they know it in their bones. Yes, yes. (laughs) Patria, just this last week I was listening again to your audio version of your book, Your Life Matters, The Power of Living Now. And within this extraordinary piece of work, you often speak about the value of meditation. Mm. I wonder if you could share a little bit more about that. I know you, you've, you've mentioned it in talking about the importance of finding that stillness. Yes. Just yeah. wonder if you could share a little more about the value of it. Look, it's, it's a wonderful gift, meditation, because it gives us the opportunity to witness our experience rather than get caught up mm-hmm. in our experience. And it's that simple practice. I was very fortunate to find it when I was 17, and I'm 69 next week now, so um, it's been pretty much a constant in my life. 
And it's our ability to witness our experience rather than just react from our mm. experience. And, of course, most of us think we are our brain until we discover that we're not our brain, that mm. we've actually got one and we can use it. Yes. And so meditation is a very practical tool for the formal practice of bringing the brain and the body under our awareness mm. rather than just reacting to whatever goes through the brain, mm. which is our normal state. The joy of meditation is, though, that ultimately the brain becomes quiet. Mm. And that then slows down the monkey mind. That slows yeah. down the monkey mind. The monkey's now on the leash. <laughs> and you notice when the monkey moves. Even if it's just a little movement, you're aware of it. And that's very different from just being buffeted all the time by your thoughts. Yes. Or the sensations that go on in your body. You know, I live with chronic pain and or it's a neuropathic thing that doesn't stop me from moving but is a constant and on a good day it's a blessing yeah. because it keeps me constantly focused on back to the body back to the body mm. back to come to your senses yes and the more I come to my senses the more I quieten down the brain the more you hear from that still small voice that has access to those qualities that are so valuable in life of, of insight and intuition and so on. You know, they're so, such wonderful qualities to have access to, yes. particularly when you're living in challenging circumstances, as frankly, you know, pretty much everyone Absolutely. on the planet you now. Know, you only have to sit down with anyone and, mm. and everyone has a story and things that and, But I think this is a new thing that's happening now on the planet. You know, for the last 35 years I've worked with people who are at the edge of life, death, edge of madness, edge of insanity, edge of despair, mm. edge of hopelessness. But now collectively, yes, we all know now that life can change in a breath, in a moment, mm. and it's never the same again and now globally we're having this awakening experience who are we what are we doing on the planet mm. is this the life we want to live mm. what do we value what do we give our time to yes are we mm. going to continue because I think a lot of people have stopped in their tracks because of COVID it's also given us an opportunity to reflect on the way we were living our lives oh, up until then absolutely and I know a lot of people have decided they don't want to go back. There is no going no. back. There is a going forward. Yes. But we don't go back. No. And people who yearn, I just want it to go back to how mm. it was, uh, are going to have a very hard time. Yes. Because we need, you know, um, Darwin might not be the most popular person in your uh, community but what he said was, it's the ones who are most adaptable to change. Mm. It's not the fittest, nor the strongest. Mm. It's the ones who can listen with that still, small voice mm. to what is life calling you to now yes. and to act on that. Yes. And if we insist on having things the way we think they should be, mm. uh, we're going to be miserable. Mm. If we can read the environment around us and respond appropriately, then we participate in creation as it is unfolding. Yes. If I keep imposing my will on creation, saying, no, 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 this I don't like it this mm. way, I want it to be different, you know, that's that whole my way or thy way. Mm. 
if we align ourselves with life and listen, wow, this, for me, this is an amazing time of awakening and it's painful for yes. a lot of people. Mm. But I found I was only half living up until when I nearly died and now I don't want to half live my life. I want to arrive on my deathbed with a bit of a grin and feeling like, Lord sakes, that was a ripper. Yes, you know, that yes. was a good life, well lived. Yes. I gave it my darndest. Mm. And then I think we can have peace with who we are yes. and the contribution that we've made. Mm. And this is not about neon lights. It's mm. how do you put love into your family? Yes. How do you care for that child? How do you bring your presence into the classroom? Mm. You know, the teachers I remember are the teachers who made me feel something good about myself. Yes. Yes. You know, Mr. I Ripon. See your goodness and see your yeah. potential. Mr. Ripon, always in year six, always greeted us at the door, always had a carnation in his pocket, always was a gentleman, mm. introduced us to Vivaldi, to Mozart, which he loved. Mm. He's probably gay. Mm. Mm. But he was a man I will never forget mm. because he came from the heart yes. and he came with a deep respect for all of his students mm. and we felt it. Mm. I had, can't remember a thing he taught me, mm. but he taught me about life Absolutely. and respect yes. and honouring one another. Mm. He was very good at that. Mm. So your very presence is teaching constantly mm. and we can... Bring a, a peaceful presence into whatever activities we may be involved in so that we deliver what it is that's going to land for the people and where they're at right now. Mm. And, you know, that's a skill and it's an art yes. that we get to participate. Mm. You know, teachers are such amazing oh, human beings. Absolutely. It's... You know, to give your life, to educate mm. the young... Mm is such an honourable profession. Mm. No, so right, Patria. And, you know, you may be the light in that child's life because heaven knows what's going on at home. Mm. But children need someone who gets them. Yes. And that's often a teacher or someone peripheral to the family mm. who sees you mm. and gets you and loves you in that sense of deep respect for who you are and the role that you're going to play on the planet. Mm -hmm. And that can nurture a child and save a child and nurture them for life yes. as a beacon that they will always have. So it's one of the most honourable professions. Mm -hmm. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. And those people, as you said, stay with you for life. They because do. Because the impact of that they do. stays with you. Yes. Thank you for joining our program today. I hope you can join us next time for part two of my conversation with Patria King. In this next episode, she provides valuable insights into how we might accompany others during times of trauma or pain. Have a lovely week, and I look forward to being with you next time.